Thou shalt not murder. Okay, we can go home now. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> Most of us, I think all of us, I could be wrong, can say we have not murdered anybody. <laughs> I don't know how many of us can say we haven't thought about it. <laughs> Whole different uh, issue. Murder doesn't come from nowhere. Murder comes from somewhere, from somewhere within. And we find, today we find, I have the roots of murder. In, in this message, I, I, I find myself, I'm calling it the roots of murder, the seed of murder, the spirit of murder. Uh, but it doesn't just, murder is not a beginning product. Murder is an end product, okay? And Jesus starts addressing the, the product, the, the, the seed or the root of murder. Anger is the seed of murder, or at least it's one of them. Uh, it, is, it is not murder. It usually does not grow into murder, but it is still the seed of murder. Uh, the average murder that happens in the United States, and, and I tried to get some numbers on this, and I kept getting into all sorts of odd distractions. But the average murder is not a murder committed in robbery. The average murder is not a gangbanger driving by and doing a, a just a drive-by shooting. Most murders are crimes of passion, meaning that they are driven by emotion. And it's not love that motivates people to murder, right? It's not... Joy that murder motivates people to murder. Uh, it's, it, is, it is anger. It is anger. And, and it grows into murder when it gets out of control. So the commandment says, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus goes and he starts explaining the, the, the commandment. He says, uh, the, the problem is, is not just murder. The problem is the anger that, that leads into murder. It is the root of murder. That, that murder grows out of. And so today, today we're going to look at what he says. We're going to look at the spirit of murder. We're going to look at what to do when you realize, oh no, I have not murdered, but that root of murder is in me. And then what happens if you don't take care of it? So that's what we find here. So let me read this entire passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not murder. And whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be answerable to the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are with him on the way to court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will not be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last, my version says quadrants. That's a good word because I have no idea what a quadrants is. Actually, I figured it out. It's about two bucks. Yours might say cent and, and uh, that is more of a saying we have, but... Anyway, so the first thing I want to do here is we, we, we run into this phrase that Jesus is going to repeat as he goes through the rest of, or this section of the Sermon of the Mount. You have heard, but I tell you. You have heard, but I tell you. And what I want to tell you about this, first, about, first of all, is he is not saying that is what it said, but I am changing it to this. Jesus is not rewriting Scripture. 
He is not saying Scripture was wrong when it said this. He is explaining Scripture. It's almost like what I do when I pull up a passage like this and I start talking about it, with the exception that I am not quite as reliable <laughs> as Christ. <laughs> and I hope you know, I don't get blasted for saying it that way. Uh, you know, I, am not, I do not have the authority or the, the uh, infallibility that he has or anything like it. But that's kind of what he's saying. He's, he's not changing it all. He is agree- First, he agrees with what has been written. And then he goes on and he explains what lies behind what is written. For instance, the, the, the two little boys are fighting. Right, and they're just you know they're angry because you know I don't know little kids some people some kids when they fight they kind of you know they they kind of wrestle around and pretend to slug my brother and I, <laughs> man we went at it we were Ollie and 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 uh, George Foreman we were just uh, you know going at it and because that's the day of we were doing it <laughs> and and we just swung and hit and punched and swung and tried to do violent things to each other and 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 so mom says. Don't hit your brother. Actually, my mom wasn't like that. She'd say, ooh, good one. <laughs> my mom was, you know, unique. Anyway, uh, she says, don't hit your brother. Now, she's saying she's giving a rule that she can enforce. If I see you hit your brother, then you're bad and you get punished for it. But what does mom really want? Does mom merely want the, brother, the brothers to not fight? This is all she's after is for them to, to not hit each other? Actually, she says, I'll settle for that. Right now, I'll settle for that. But what does she really want? She wants them to not fight. She wants them not only to not fight, she wants them to get along. She wants, more than wants them to get along, she wants them to like each other, right? That every parent wants their children to be nice to each other, to like each other. Not just to be nice to each other, but to be nice because it's what is naturally flowing out of their relationship with each other. Well, that's what she wants. Hitting your brother is the result of so many other things, and they're all wrong. And she doesn't have the time. She's got other little kids, <laughs> at least in my house she did, you know, other little kids that she's got to take care of. And she doesn't have the time to sit down with you. And, and, and besides that, when you and your brother are that angry, you're not ready to listen to anything more than that anyway. Right? All, you're, all you're ready to listen to is don't hit. And then if you don't trust your brother not to hit, you're kind of you know, walking away like this, uh, be, you know, ready to do whatever. But she'll settle for you not hitting your brother. Right? Jesus is not changing or adding to Scripture. He's simply explaining it. Uh, and, and Jesus is always right. And what he's, by the way, what he says here, because it's him, it has become Scripture as well. So he's, let's go back to what you have heard. You have heard, you shall not murder. We're going back to, to the Ten Commandments. Commandment number five, ex, or number six, Exodus 20, verse 13, thou shalt not commit murder. Or depending on your version, say thou shalt not kill, but then we understand the difference between the two. Okay, very straightforward and simple. God says thou shalt not kill. And the Jews, you know, tried not to commit murder. They tried to, you know, be people who didn't because they wanted to obey the commandment. And that's good. Uh, and then he says, uh, and, and uh, he who does shall be answerable to the court. Now, that part is not a quote uh, of the Bible, or at least not one that I could find, but, but it's, he's describing the process of what's going to happen. So you do commit murder, you get arrested and handed over to the court, and the court will deal with you. It's kind of like saying you're going to face the judge for that. Uh, you know, you've you, you got to face the law now. And, and so... That is what he's saying. He says, don't commit murder, and if you do, you're going to go to, you're going to, go to court. You're going to be arrested. You're going to you know, pay the penalty and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and so what you've heard is the law, but there's more than the law here that God is seeking after. Laws 
A good law, by the way, uh, law, first of all, laws don't make something right. You know, we, we live in a land that is passing what I will call foolish laws that, that pretend to make things right that are not right. And a law cannot make something that is wrong right. Simply changing a law does not make a, a, a sinful action not sinful. It, it shows the foolishness of the lawmakers. But a good law reflects what is right. It doesn't make something right, and not having a law does not make something wrong. A good law reflects what is right and enforces it and penalizes the violation of it. And God's laws are all good, and they all reflect what is right. Uh, and, and so there is a right that resulted in this law. So before there's a law that says you cannot murder, guess what you can do? <laughs> you can murder, right? It's like, well, it's not right, yeah, but you can't put me in jail for it. Right? Uh, it's like, okay, these, I think that one's going to come back on you. Maybe so. But, but uh, what, are the, what is the right that resulted in this law? He says, that's what you've heard. Uh, and, and so we got, come with things like, like anger and insults, right? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court. And whoever says to his brother, and your Bible may say different things. It may say, raka. R-A-C-A, whoever says raka to his brother. And you know why they say raka there in your Bible? Because it's a word that doesn't translate well into English, right? There are words like that, and, and especially insulting words, right? You, you, uh, I, I don't know, you know, does goof translate into other languages? You goof. I, I tell, tell Jude all the time, you're being a goof. No, Papa, you're a goof. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a, I don't know that it translates. Goof. It's, it's, it's a word that, you know, raka is a word that, that doesn't really translate well. And so some Bibles, like this one says, you good for nothing. And, and uh, that's probably as close to an accurate translation as you're going to get. But the important thing is that it's an insulting term. It's an offensive term. It's a put down. And then he says... Uh, so you good for nothing shall be answerable to the Supreme Court, and whoever says you fools shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And so we have anger and insults are the things that lie behind murder. Uh, so angry with his brother. And by the way, I think we're safe, and it's important, by the way, to make a distinction between kinds of anger. Because, you know, Jesus became angry. You, you want to read Jesus angry, read Matthew 23. And you see Jesus expressing his anger towards the scribes and the Pharisees. You whitewashed tombs, you vipers. Uh, he, he, he is not being polite or nice to them. He is, being, he is calling them out. He's clearly angry. You want to see Jesus angry, go and watch him make a cord of whips and clean out the temple right? Jesus got angry. Anger in itself is not sin. Uh, but there is, so, so there's a distinction between types of anger. Uh, I looked in the uh, Blue Letter Bible, and, and I found out, I, I looked for the two words, wrath and God, right? Uh, wrath being a word meaning strong anger, and wrath with God. I found, I found uh, 39 times in, in the Bible, in the New American Standard Bible, that you find the phrase, not the phrase wrath of God, but the words wrath and God put in the same verse. 18 of them are in the New Testament, which means there's 21 Old Testament, 18 New Testament. When you realize the Old Testament is that thick in your Bible and the New Testament is that thick, it happens much more frequently in the New Testament than in the Old Testament that we find this expression uh, referring to, to the wrath of God. Let me give you two examples. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 36, who does not, He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. 
Uh, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And we find the wrath of God is expressed in those frames. So wrath is anger. God never sins. When God is angry, it is because somebody deserves to have his anger directed at them. Not all anger is sin. There is such a thing as justifiable anger. Now, just because I say that, don't walk around justifying all your anger, right? Uh, because that's, uh, that would be a mistake on your part, and it's not the message I want to get, a, get, a, get across. It is too easy to justify your anger when you're angry. It is far too easy to let your anger get carried away. Uh, but for instance, is there someone, this is, I'm going to start talking about anger that, that probably says you're doing something wrong. Is there someone who when you hear their name, your first response is anger? And, and I do this because this is where it comes from. Ask me how I know. <laughs> right? Uh, is it, you feel it from that, it rises within you. Right? You got someone like that? Right now, you're thinking, oh, yeah. And some of you are looking at me like this. <laughs> Please. <don't. laughs> uh, you got someone like that? You have someone where when you just think about someone, your immediate response is anger? I think that's what Jesus is referring to, the, the, the indwelling anger, the anger that lives and dwells within us, that can flare up at any time. Right? That is, that is a problem. That is, that is something that is within you. It's, and so we start talking about the root of anger or the root of murder that, that is within you. It, it is there. Uh, you know, we're called to be people who forgive. We're going to find it still, in, still while we're in the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, we're in about, we're somewhere in the third month of John cha or Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> right? Sermon on the Mount is taking a little bit longer than you might think it's going to take to preach through. Uh, but while we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to find uh, for, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, and forgive our debtors as we also forgive those who forgive against us. For uh, i got to read it because I'm going to mess it up. Uh, for if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. And we'll explain that when we get there, talk about that one. But, but uh, we are called to be forgiving people because God has forgiven us. He who has been forgiven much loves much, right? Uh, we, are, we are to be forgiven, forgiving people. That's, that's supposed to be our characteristic and our trait. And that anger is a sign that we are not. That anger that dwells within us is an evidence to us that we have not forgiven that person who is making us so angry. Uh, and and, and it, it is a dangerous thing. We can do something about that. Lasting anger, otherwise known or also known as bitterness, right, is a result of a refusal to forgive. Okay, so that is one instance of it. The other is those, those instant flare-ups, flying into fits of rage. Uh, are you known as being an angry person? Are you known for hatred and anger? When people think of you, do they think about your anger? Is that the first thing they, they consider when, when they think of you? Do you justify it by saying, I'm Irish? <laughs> or, or, you know, fill in the blanks, because I don't, I don't know how many... Uh, ethnicities, I've heard blamed for anger. <laughs> I kind of think, are you a descendant of Moses? <laughs> I mean, not Moses, Noah. <laughs> it's important to get those right. <laughs> are you a descendant of Noah? Because it's his fault. We got it from him. No, it goes farther back to another descendant we, or ancestor we all share. Uh, and, and that anger is easily there. 
you're, and when that happens, what it is is you're already angry. Your anger is just, you're already angry. Your anger is just looking for a target and, and an opportunity to express itself. And these are the things I think Jesus is talking about when he talks about if you are angry with, his, with your brother. Are, are you an angry person? Is anger your characteristic? Is, is, it, is it how you are? Not are you anger, angry at the evil you see in the world. You should be angry at the evil you see in the world. You see somebody mugging your grandmother, you'd better be angry, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Sorry, I, we had someone steal our, my... I, someone, someone purse snatched my Granny Webb's purse. I have four brothers. <laughs> and we went out, we never found the guy, and it was good for him, <laughs> right? Because he, he stole my granny's purse, right? Oh, man. You, how many of you, you hear that and you go, oh, man. <laughs> right? that guy, I, I, I kind of think Jesus is okay with that anger. I could be wrong. I don't know. You know? And in fact, I probably should repent because right now I'm starting to feel it. You know? <laughs> it's like, that was in the 70s. I still want to find this guy. <laughs> probably I have a problem. Uh, but... Anger, okay? But then he goes to insults, and he does this raka word, raka. And like I say, it's an insult that's, that's kind of difficult to translate. I, I even went to the Pigeon Bible, and I can't remember what it said, but I think it said, you know good. <laughs> you know good. Uh, and, and, and some of your Bibles will, will uh, try to in, you'll do it one way or another. Uh, the ESV, I like what it does. It doesn't try to translate. It simply says, insults your brother. <laughs> oh, that's, that's kind of is describing what happens when someone says Raka is he, he is insulting his brother. And then he goes from that to you fool, you good for nothing, or Raka shall be answerable to the Supreme Court. Whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Uh, and, and, and fool doesn't take much explaining. We all understand that. In fact, how many of you hear, hear the word fool and say, that actually sounds like kind of a mild insult to me, right? Anybody else put that on the major list of put downs? Uh, to me, it seems pretty vanilla. Right? But what, without, here's what Jesus has done. Without swearing, Jesus has just basically thrown out a couple of standard insults that people would use uh, and uh, said, don't do them. The person who does those has got the root or the seed of murder in him. He's doing the same thing. And he talks about the penalty for anger and insults. And he lists these three penalties that you've been hear, hearing me talk about and wonder why I wasn't hearing me mention, but wonder why I wasn't talking about them. It's because I was saving them up. So number one, answerable to the court. Number two, answerable to the Supreme Court. And number three, uh, guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And, and, and you go, you look at those, and, and it feels like it's ascending, like uh, being angry with your brother is a milder sin, and saying raka or, or you, good for nothing is a larger sin, and you fool is a larger sin, and he's, he's showing categories of sins and, and, and classes. I don't, I don't think that's it at all. I don't think we need to look at an, a hierarchy of crime and punishment here because I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is anger, same punishment as murder. Uh, raka, same punishment as murder. You fool, same punishment as murder. I think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying these are all the same kind of thing. It, they're, it, they're, and here's the thing is there's no law against being angry. Right? There's a law against murder, but there's no law against being angry. You can be angry at me, and I might not like it. I might be afraid of what you might do in your anger, but there's no law against you being angry at me. There's no law against you calling me names. Right? Uh, I might cry like a baby. <laughs> 
right? I, you never know. I might, I, might, I might be offended. I might get mad and call you names, right? But, but there's no law against calling people names. I guess you could sue someone for libel or slander. But if, if, for instance, you call me a fool, you know what I have to do to win a libel suit against you? I have to prove that I'm not a fool. <laughs> Proof is an adequate defense. So all you have to do is say, well, honor, look at him. <laughs> and, the ju- <laughs> and the judge says, bang, case dismissed. So there's no law against these things. So, so why is Jesus treating these things equal? Uh, because these things display the spirit of murder. And the person who does these things has displayed uh, the character of a murderer. Same character, right? Maybe he hasn't gone as far in scale, but it's the same crime, same thing. So let's move on to verses 23 through 25. What do you do if you realize, oh, no, that's me, right? Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are with him on the way to court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will not be thrown into into prison. Excuse me. So if you find you have it, first don't ignore it. Usually we find something like that. We find that anger in me. I've got that response. Yeah, you know, it's, that's okay. It's not that big a deal. He deserves, he deserves it anyway. Uh, I can live with it. It's not that big a problem. We, and we justify or excuse it. We do something like that. Uh, don't do, or, or we say it's his fault anyway, right? Because it is, right? He deserves it. Uh, don't do any of those things. It, you know what he says? If you are presenting your offering at the altar, and we want to grab a handle on that. What, is, what, what does that mean? Because it's not something we do. And, and people will often interpret that and t- think it applies to communion. And so before you take communion, you want to make sure you are in good relationships with your brothers. You don't have a, 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 you know, something like that. Well, that's, a, that's not a bad application, but it's a bad interpretation because the altar is not communion. What is the altar? The altar is where sacrifices were made, the altar is where your relationship with God was restored, right? If it is a sin offering, the altar is where your sin was atoned for. The altar is where you made fellowship offerings, free will offerings, gift offerings. The altar is where offerings were made to give you that right relationship with God. So what is he saying here when he says, as you go to the altar, uh, if you are presenting your, al- your gift at the altar and there you remember your brother has something against you? If you think you are going to establish a good relationship with God, but because of your fault, you don't have a good relationship with your brother, it's not going to happen. In order to have a good relationship, and and, and by the way, I want you to notice something. I'm going to talk about this a little more. This is with you at fault. It's not your brother at fault. He doesn't say if you realize you have something against your brother. He says if you realize your brother has something against you uh, and and you recognize that, uh, you haven't done what you can to restore that relationship, then you're not going to get that relationship with God that you're seeking. It's a pretend thing. It's a false thing to think you can have a good relationship with God while you are busy hating your brothers, while you are busy nursing anger at your brothers. God is saying it's not going to happen. That's what he is saying by this altar thing. He says, before you want to fix your relationship with God, fix your relationship with your brother. And it's your guilt. 
right? The passage is talking about your guilt, not his. If your brother has something against you, what does it say in verse 25? Come quickly to good terms with your accuser. That person who is and can accuse you. And it's significant because it's not focusing on his sins, it's focusing on yours. And it is so much nicer to focus on the other guy's problems. It's so much nicer to focus on the, for us, it's so much easier for me to focus on the things he did that got me to be so angry. And it's not, I'm not excusing the things he did. But that doesn't excuse me. And I can't confess his sins to God. I can ask God to do something about it, <clears throat> but I can't confess his sins to God. I can confess my own. And we are looking at our guilt here and, and because we are guilt, right? It doesn't, we are guilty. It, it it's, requires us to recognize our own sin and failure, our own guilt in this thing. Anger and name-calling focus on the sins and failing of the other guy, right? You call someone a fool, who's a, whose fault are you talking about? You're talking about his. But in talking about his, you're expressing your own <laughs> because you're doing something wrong to do it. You're the one displaying anger. You're the one making insults. And you're kind of a fool by doing that. And you who call him a fool have just become a fool. You've given him reason to have something against you if there wasn't something already. Because chances are, if you're busy calling him a fool, he's busy calling you a fool at the same time. Right? Because that's the way these things usually work. So verse 25, come to good terms with your accuser quickly while you are on the way to court so that your accuser will not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will not be thrown into prison. If you come to the shocking realization that you share guilt in this thing, which you probably do, Right? If you come to the shocking realization that you at least share in the guilt, go to the guy. Apologize. Make it right. And it's the opposite of the spirit of murder. Because the spirit of murder is anger and wanting to get back at the guy. And the, the spirit that apologizes is just, I don't know how, it's just the opposite. It's, it's, an extreme, it's an attitude that brings life, not death. It's an attitude that brings restoration, not division. Uh, it brings together, doesn't push apart. That's what he wants us to show. And, and, and verse 26, he says, or pay the penalty. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last quadrants. So, so you know, and, and because you, but chances are, if you don't have the, the NIV or New American Standard, or at least the updated New American Standard, yours, yours says the last penny or the last cent or paid the full amount or something like that. But this said quadrant, so I, I, did, my, I did my work. I looked it up. It, it's an it's a amount of money that equaled one-sixteenth of a worker's daily pay. Uh, that's a weird amount. And I thought, okay, well, let's divide it by hours. If the day is eight hours, it's, it's uh, an eighth. Let's see. It's a, eight hours would be a half of what a guy makes in an hour. Is that right? Okay, it would have been... I said, Somehow I came up with two bucks. It would be more, more than that. But... Uh, uh, anyway, it's, 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 it's not an insignificant amount completely, but it's, it's like not enough to do a lot with, right? He's, he's saying you're going to have to pay the whole amount. Uh, it, it's, it's a basically worthless amount, but you won't get out until you've paid it. That part is going to have to be paid too. And, and you know what I'm going to call this? I'm going to call it sinner's jail. There's no bars. I mean, and, and obviously commit the right crime and you will go to jail, but, but most sins don't land you in jail. 
the, the, but anger can put you in, a, in the sinner's jail. You're trapped by your anger, your bitterness, your hurt, your fear, your guilt, whatever it is that is motivating your, your feeling this way, and you're trapped by it. And, and there are two keys that will get you out, right? The, 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 there are two keys that will get you out, depending on what puts you in there. One is confession, and the other is forgiveness. And both will equally lock you in there and trap you out. And the thing is, is you have the keys. Can you imagine sitting in jail and you've got the key to the door, but you refuse to use it because it serves that jailer right? (laughs) That makes sense, doesn't it? Ha, take that. But that's what we do. We we refuse. We've got the key that will let us out of sinner's jail that will set us free from anger, from bitterness, from the seed of murder, as Jesus is presenting it here. And we won't use them, and until you use them, you won't get out. And what does he say? I Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last quadrants, and you will be there for the rest of your life until you forgive or confess. And it's like, that's a really low price, people. It's really easy to get out of this thing. Now, I work on a message like this, and I look at, here's the thing is, is I, my goal in preaching a sermon is not to use up a half hour of your life. I feel like a failure if I don't use up at least a half hour. I want you to know that. <laughs> that's called preacher's jail. <laughs> but, uh, but that's not my goal when I preach, right? It's, it's not, my goal is not merely to teach biblical truth, although that's something I hope I accomplish, but it's to give people something they can walk away and be better because they've heard. I always want God's word to be meaningful. And I, and I look at a message like this and I go, Lord, there's nobody at Trinity who needs this message. And, and he said, Steve? <laughs> you know, the reality is, that, and I found this to be true, because honestly, if you think, man, he's, he's preaching to me. Here is my honest answer to, to pretty much every time. Every now and then it might be you, but I, I, I purposely avoid it. Because anytime I aim a sermon, I'm thinking the sermon about one particular person, I guarantee you that person will not be there that Sunday. <laughs> if you feel God is speaking to you, he is. I, not me, because I look at this and I go, I don't see who this is ta- speaking to. Right? I, I try to do the eye contact thing. Make sure everybody has a chance to feel equally guilty. <laughs> but if, if you feel God is speaking to you, then, then he is. You've got these tools. Why won't you use them? The answer is because the seed of murder is alive in you, and it does not want you to kill it. And you can. In order to kill it, you confess or you forgive. And it takes the anger. It, 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 it kills the seed of anger. And it kills the seed of, of bitterness. 
and it kills the seed of murder. And the spirit is entirely different. I've described it today as the root of murder, the seed of murder, the spirit of murder. And it is anger. And I, I, I thought about that word insult, and I replaced it with meanness. Meanness. That's what it is. And if you find it living in you, do something about it. Because that, that in you will hurt you much more than it hurts anybody else. Unless maybe you actually murder them. Right? But it will hurt you more than it ever hurts them. And you remove it by confession. You remove it by forgiveness. And if you do that, not only will you realize, here's the thing is, is I talk about this sinner's jail and you may, or sinner's prison. You may go, I don't know if that's true. Here's the thing. You forgive or you confess and you will find out it's true. I'm not making this stuff up. You will, you will be freed in your spirit. You will be freed in your heart and you will know what it feels like to not walk around with that burden that you've been carrying that you're so used to carrying you don't even realize you don't have to carry it. And that freedom is yours. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the gift you give us of, of being able to forgive and being able to confess that you honor our words of confession and forgive us when we do. Lord, I thank you for your sacrifice for us. Help us to live obediently to you, rightly before you. Lord, I ask for the freedom that you can give. In Jesus' name, amen.